Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Jim, there is a thousand and one things I'd like to talk to you about, but time is tight tonight. Mm. Uh, let's talk about this venue and what yeah. it means to you, first of all, because I gather you were here at the famous No Sleep Till Hammersmith Motorhead yes. show, right? Yes. Okay, so put us in the picture of that night. Oh, I wish I could remember that whole thing. <laughs> it, it was, um, I, I had met Lemmy that summer, this was 1980, the first year that we were here, and... Um, he was one of the original gang that came to see the Stray Cats because he's a rockabilly boy. And um, we just maintained a friendship always, 100 years later. And uh, he'd come to our gigs. And so it's his gig tonight. I think they were on some UK tour. And I think this was the last show or last two shows. Hammersmith, I think there were two nights maybe. Right. For Motorhead. And, what, and they um, both made the record, did they? Uh, yeah, I think it might be a compilation. I'm not sure of the exact history of that. But... Um, uh, you know, with him, it was probably true. He probably, you know, slept at, uh, you know, Liverpool and didn't you know, sleep again <laughs> until Hammersmith. So, um, uh, yeah, I do remember being at it, and I do remember it, you know, of, of course, being loud and him saying something like, uh, you know, I'm so happy I'll be the last thing you hear before you go deaf <laughs> to the audience. It, it, and then it became, I think, the first rock live album to ever go to number one i think yeah uh, i think you're so, right yeah. um so at the time you never know things are historic um until do you, you know. not even with something like a, a motorhead or a clash or a um 
I don't. I guess because there was so much of it at that time, wasn't yeah, there? Every band I was can't killing. See. Yeah, and it's kind of what you did that day. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah I'm gonna do a gig tonight. Okay. Um. Uh. But I, I, I always knew those two people you just said, Motorhead or The Clash. I, I always knew how good it was, and like happy to, happy to be there. I saw The Clash uh, twenty times. It, um, they had a good run. I remember maybe that year. Or maybe the right after that at the Lyceum, like they did like three, four nights in a row, and I just went every night with the, the you know, Derek, the guy that used to be the you know the driver for the Stray Cats. Um, it was one of it, I think it might have been the tour they had the graffiti, the guy behind them when they were doing it, and it was a lot like this Hammersmith Odeon Lyceum. You pretty much just knew where to go, and you turned up at the back of it, like here. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And there's the guy in the little guard booth, and he knows. Yeah, okay, that guy, and you just went in. It no was need pretty for passes. Much, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably still like that. If you know the guy to open up the gate, it's still. And if you go around enough and you're nice to everybody, I'm sure, you know, it's still that way. Do you but, still feel a connection with London? Does it still feel like a, oh, a home yeah. from home to you? Positively, Jenny and I were just talking. If I had to live anywhere, I would be here. It's it's. You know, great, especially in the in um, in Chelsea, and I, I, I yeah, I mean, London was t- to me the you know still is it's the greatest. If it didn't rain every day, I would live here. Um, <laughs> Although um, today's like freakishly hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it always lures me in London. I think I was here last year in August. Whenever we Jenny and I had a couple of shows, it was nice. And I think, what do I live in London? Okay, and then then the rain if you starts stay long in. enough. It's like cold in July and raining. So uh, no, but I I love it here, and they accepted us when we were trying to find some place to accept us. And I, it's it'll always be very special to me. And I I know the others feel the same way too. It's yeah, positively. Yeah, I mean, it's a special place. Where else could it really happen? I think if you're a band, still, I think it holds true. I think you have to come here and make it. You came here with literally nothing, right? No plans, no yeah. job, no cash. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm still sleeping in someone else's house. I just <laughs> have a really? better class a of be- friends now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, you came yeah, over here like right... A friend right... of mine that I've known all those years too. Um, uh, At the right yeah. time, didn't you? Like for, in terms of music and culture, like it was just exploding. There, There's... Luckily, I think. There's no way to really know that part. Um we were so young and we just knew that we had to go somewhere. We had the NME and it had Kings Road on there and there's cool people there. I didn't know particularly who anybody was. Um, we just knew there were Ted's here and you were allowed to wear a spiky belt uh, walking down the street, not have a hassle over it and have, you know, uh, have some color in your hair. Um, so we just knew that London was cool. I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought everyone was going to be Ringo or the, or the or or you know Prince Charles. I didn't know the difference. Everyone lives in the castle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought or and we just thought it was hard days night. Everything was going to be like that. Um, so in a funny way, it did turn out that way. But there was no way of knowing what scene was going to happen and there was a hole in the culture right now that needed to be plugged and there was a relevance between punk rock and the oncoming onset of like there was no way of knowing any of that i think a lot of that we kind of caused our own luck yeah because we and the came scene was so small as well wasn't it so everyone knew everyone and yeah there um there was a little bit of a rockabilly you know you know maybe teddy boys but i don't think that there was what it is now there wasn't um, 4,000 of them to put in Hammersmith Odie and that much I know um, there was a very small amount of like um, 
you know, punk rockers who were melding into rockabilly. It was the next thing, and punk rock was kind of over, but there was a certain amount of people that still liked to dress up, and there was a connection between rockabilly and punk rock always. Were were there no Teds in in New York then at that time? No, I didn't even really know any Teds in London when we first came. You know, we heard about it. It was more like it was more of a legendary thing to us because we had that book. The Teds, I still have my copy of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. For Brian and me, it was like everything that, you know, we thought everyone was going to be like that. It's England. We didn't really know that there was like, there was the south of England and then there was the north of England. There was a, we didn't quite understand the whole thing. It was just everyone there is a Ted. We didn't quite get it all. Um, so um, it, there wasn't anyone in New York like that, no. Um, we had just got those books, really, and we were slowly discovering rockabilly, um, from an old like record store that the guy wasn't a Ted who owned the record store. It was just some guy that had a had a, uh, a record store that sold a few of those records. And a lot of them were from England. The Charlie label and the Ace label and a lot of those reissues of American labels. Like we had the Imperial Rockabilly. I remember the purple cover. The MGM Rockabilly that had the Leo the Lion on it. The um, uh, 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 We had the Star Day Dixie and we had the Charlie uh, that were all released on Charlie. They were all American labels that were out of print that this guy from England, Ted Carroll was his name, he had Ace Records, and he had a Charlie small imprint, and I guess they bought up those old catalogs and made, and that's how we got them. So it was American music from an English label coming back to America, and everything that we thought was cool kind of came from England, except the actual music. Yeah, know? yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it was always that interesting transatlantic relationship, wasn't it, with blues coming over here and then, you know. Yeah. British yeah. beat music going back and over we to the States. Had the, I kind of, the Clash, I didn't really know that that well. I We had the Sex Pistols album. And um, Glenn was here Glenn last was night. Glenn was here last night. Yeah. Yeah. So, into the uh, toilet. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, Glenn. <laughs> there you have it. Um, um, uh, and I think we had, not the whole album, but a few of the, um, like Neat, 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 we had heard that. We didn't really know that much because we were still kind of young and you know, records were you know 20 bucks or whatever the you know the imports were um so um we didn't have that much to go by so much but we had the we knew something was in england because we had the sex pistols and we had the like a couple um like a couple copies of nme that would they sell eight weeks later at the you know the secondhand record store so we had that and we had the rockabilly we had gene vincent's second album we had the sex pistols and we had some copies of the nme and that's pretty much what we based it all on yeah um isn't it interesting? Because the roadmap was always there, and you know it was quite clear that the Stones, the Beatles, all those bands were where they were drawing their influences from. But obviously, fast track fifteen years when punk was happening, no one apart from you guys at that time initially was riffing on that old school rock and roll R and B. It's weird, yeah. isn't it? I don't know if you had to be American to do it or not. And we were from New York, so we didn't know anything about the South of the U.S. It was. TV, it wasn't anything, yeah, like a foreign any country, live experience. Um, but we loved it. We really loved the whole. We kind of loved the con- the concept of everything in England. Everyone was Ted's on King's Road, <laughs> and we also or liked Mods the down theory on Brighton Beach, of like, yeah. everyone in USA in the South was Jethro from the Beverly Hillbilly. Like we wanted to think those two things. Like everyone's a hillbilly and everyone's a Teddy boy. Right? Yeah. So um, um, then you learn. If, in reality of it all is that still just like when 
tenth of one percent of one billionth of everyone is yeah, any yeah, of yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, but we were never interested in being um, being a cult thing or like a niche thing. It it really wasn't a, um, uh, just you just make the best record you can. You do the best gig you can. We didn't really. Now I think it's a funny thing, whereas you almost like you can shoot for um, cult status. Like I want to be a you know rockabilly uh, legend or you know I want to be a punk rock legend. I think you can kind of target it more now. When we started, the only way to make a record was to get a record deal. The only way to play for a lot of people was to make a following. Or so there wasn't any. Um, uh, I don't want to say shortcut, but there was no other way to do it. Play a lot of shows, get good, get yeah, in front of the right yeah. people. Huh. And was it Dave Edmonds who produced your first first record? Yes, and um, he, Edmonds, I, I like to compare the whole thing to Sam Phillips, not us to Elvis so much, but like, Edmonds was looking for someone like us. He had had the sound in his head since the 60s, and we didn't know him. I kind of heard, I hear you knocking, we knew a little bit about it, but not that, that much. I didn't have all Dave Edmonds albums like I do now. Um, uh, so he had a sound in his head of like a modern rockabilly the same way as Sam had an idea in his head of how to mix those old R&B records with the hillbilly records and he didn't really have the right until he met Elvis Presley Dave had a similar thing because he had been making these kind of records since the 60s which now I know I didn't know then and we didn't really know that much to um, uh, and these they they meaning those British guys from a certain age came to see the shows like Lemmy like like uh, Jeff Beck was here last night, like those guys um, came to see us play. And I didn't even know the connection to it. Like Lee and I were in a band, we were trying to learn Freeway Jam the year before that. And like, well, Dave Edmonds, I remember the song on the radio, but it doesn't, they didn't look rockabilly, right? So I didn't know the difference so much. Now, and that was part of my learning process. That, oh yeah, okay, Jeff Beck like Gene Vincent, now I get it. Like, we didn't know. I didn't know. Um, we just loved that music and were trying to sound like, you know, Buddy Holly and the Crickets' first album and the second Gene Vincent. That's all I knew that we were trying to do. And uh, luckily I was still young and I was moldable and I started to realize this, how Jeff Beck likes the Stray Cats and how Dave Edmonds wants to produce it and they think it's a good idea. They meaning everything was happening kind of at the same time where there was some interest from labels um, and, and the Mick... Jagger and Keith Richard were coming to the shows and they wanted to do it, but it was very hard to get them pinned down to so start a record next week because we were still a bit um, in flux. We were kind of the talk of the town playing playing clubs, but we still had nowhere to live particularly. We yeah, had yeah, money. Yeah. It was that still just story. the three of us with, you know, <laughs> where do we go now? Everyone likes us. Okay, maybe we can sleep at their house tonight. So, um, uh, so we needed something that was going to happen relatively quickly. Um, and Edmonds was there. He met the, the you know the right person at the right record company. The right, it, it was all in live time. You know, we had a couple of meetings uh, all you know happening at once. And the guy from Arista was there the same night that Dave was. We'll sign tomorrow. I'll produce tomorrow. Okay, let's go. And um, we kind of went in within a day or so and did Runaway Boys. That was the... Um, where it comes into it, what you said before, made me think of this whole thing, was you have to play a lot. Before we did this at a pub, you just don't walk in there and Jeff Beck likes it, you know, you're just all of a sudden good at it. We played in New York for over a year, four sets a night, five nights a week for 
a year. So when you come and just play half an hour, here you go, boom. Easy, right? Yeah. You own those chops. We, we were good at it. So, um, so that's the main thing. And I, there's really, to me, no way around that. You just got to do it all the time. And, um, and I think that comes across. Do you think those days are gone of the you know, up-and-coming band playing several sets a night, getting incredibly good live? It seems to me now that it's just like, go. Yeah. I think that part of it is still possible because there are bands out there playing. What I do think is not going to happen again is that I don't think that you can be popular without knowing it. Like we were selling imports back in the States and it was big in France and we didn't, like, we didn't know it kind of thing. I don't think that can happen again because now there's so much information that yeah, yeah. everybody knows everything right away. But I do think that there's still a spot for people who go out and you know practice and you know have their band and work on a following. It's, I, I think that still happens. But I think if you're popular in Michigan, you know it right away. So, um, so that's good and bad maybe. But, but I do think that bands still do it. Because uh, time's short, I want to jump in and ask you this. So for me, like, when people are comfortable with their legacy, that's a sign of the character. And I think if you have a good relationship with your legacy, that shows that you're proud and you're happy with your work, mm. right? And some people, I think, struggle with it their whole life and they don't manage to find peace and contentment. You seem to be incredibly content and happy with, with your legacy. Is that safe to say? And like everything that's kind of come from the Stray yeah. Cats? and Yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of always was. So it's not something drummer. that's come with age with you. Uh, it's something you've uh, always appreciated. I think maybe with the other two a little more. I'm the drummer, and I'll bet you bet you anything. Yes, Ringo, he'll say the same thing. You know, like I think it's a drummer's thing. Well, I was always kind of just to be happy to be there, proud yeah. to be there. These are my two friends from school. Um, I think maybe more with a singer. Um, I just think that it might take. You know, it's different with a drummer. I think, but um, but like I I love it. And hi, Brian. And How are you? As we're speaking. What? Well, I'm gonna storm it. There, there Come you on go. in. Do you just ask the fantastic question? We're comfortable with the legacy of the Stray Cats. <laughs> I said yes. Yes. Continue on. <laughs> so, so, you, so there you go. You think it's a drummer thing, right? Well, I think drummers are always happy to be there, and I know I am. Well, that's the main, the main thing for drummers. It's me, I'm happy to be here. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your band, Sensible. Uh, well, Sensible's a, 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 you know, just a character. He's been around ever since we first um, came. He was one of the original, you know, people that came. And I I just always stayed friendly with him. And then when uh, we were looking for something to do one time, and he came down and we played together. I think I was doing a trio thing, Rockabilly. He did walk play a few songs. And it just morphs into, you know, write a few together. And um, he's my friend. Oh, I love when you were out with The Damned maybe two years ago and you got him on Instagram. And he's a character who I think needs to be on there because it's such a great yeah. platform for a colorful yeah. character like yeah. him. And you switched him onto it when you're on the road, didn't you? And so you were like posting together. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I think he was one of the original people on the internet, Sensible. I think he used to do like, uh, you know, posts about his like wallpapering his house. Don't believe him. And, <laughs> <laughs> and did, did you work with Jerry Lee as well? Is yes. that right? Yes. I mean, how I was did. that? Um, is he as insane uh, as yeah, they say? Yeah, insane. Um, I don't know if he remembered me from one day to the next. I that I can't say. Um, but uh, but he was you know a couple times a night it would all click, and it was on. And he's you know he's one of the main guys ever. I don't think any of us are having any conversation if Jerry Lee doesn't you know make those first records. No way. 
Yeah, me and Jesse have talked a lot over the years, like Little Richard, Jerry Lee, Chuck Berry, obviously Elvis. Right. I mean, they're the architects, aren't they? Yeah, positively. Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent, um, yeah, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, um, Cole Perkins, Jerry Lee, positively. That handful of people, yeah. Do you think the reason Stray Cats translated so well with such different pockets of the musical community is because that is the common thread, rock and roll? Mm. Like, it all comes back to that. Yeah, positively. Um, I think everyone has to know that or you don't get it really any further in this, you know, that you have to have some type of connection to that. Well, it's just, that's my my personal theory. All roads lead back to Eddie Cochran. And I think you have to kind of not sound like that or look like that, or but but you have to have some type of connection to it. Uh, who is your ultimate all-time inspiration and hero? Oh, Elvis Presley, Elvis for sure. Elvis is the one. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's no mistake yeah. that he's on the his T-shirt first, there um, as well. His... When I found his original recordings, that's when we all kind of really Got took going. notice of it all. Yeah, uh, Dude, I'm going to get out of your cool. hair. Exactly. Um, thank cool. you so much for your time. I'd love to do one of these again sometime when you're sure. uh, back in the UK or maybe if yeah. I'm in LA. And I want to do one with you too, Jenny. Awesome. Yeah. make that happen? Down like four flat tires. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 